What's up, everybody? I'm Player One. I'm your spin to win, try hard top lane champ, Garen. And I'm your light throwing, laser shooting champion, Lux, Player Two. And lurking in the bushes, Blitz, ready to hook you, blow my load, and then run away until my cooldowns come back. I am Player Three, Taylor. In case you guys couldn't tell, our episode today is going to be about League of Legends, uh, one of the most popular MOBA or multiplayer online battle arena games in the world right now. And we have a special guest with us today, uh, one of my good friends, Taylor Brown. What up, ladies and gentlemen? So I think we'll start off with a little bit of information about our founders and some history uh, that kind of give you guys, gives you guys uh, a background on what we're going to be getting into because we can get pretty in-depth with some of the mechanics and lore and everything you'll see. Uh, so we'll start it out with Brandon Risebeck and Mark Trindemir Merrill, who are roommates at the University of Southern California Business School. Uh, and if you guys know anything about League of Legends, you might recognize the name Rise and Trindemir. Uh, so Rise was Brandon Beck's alias uh, in some of the earlier games he played, or Gamer Tag, or however you want to say it. Uh, and Trindemir uh, was Mark Merrill's EverQuest name. Uh, and Ash, another champion you might recognize, uh, is named after his wife, wife Ashley. Um, so I mentioned EverQuest. Uh, so these guys were definitely nerds. Uh, yep. Even though they were in business school, which... You know, typically you think engineer, nerd, you know, whatever. Although, uh, I think as Taylor proves, we definitely have nerds out in business um, school. Yeah, um, uh, like I consider myself a geek, but I've never heard of EverQuest. I have no idea what this thing is. So these dudes were obviously into this stuff pretty early on. So they they definitely enjoyed video games and playing together and playing some of these, definitely what I would call like first sci-fi fantasy games that influence so much of what we see today. Uh, and just later technology and gaming in general. Uh, so kind of to emphasize that, their apartment, uh, they described as having literally nothing in it, no pictures on the wall, nothing at all, except for two large tables that were dominated by gaming rigs so they could play video games. Uh, now, so if I'm not mistaken, that's probably pretty similar to the setup you guys have right now. Uh, yeah, we're currently sitting in my apartment uh, with... Two PCs set up on a kitchen table uh, that can barely fit both of them. So that's pretty accurate. I'd say we're pretty similar to these two guys. Um, although I don't think we're going to be creating a multi-million dollar video game anytime soon. Yeah, definitely not. But I, I, I definitely think we're fitting into this category pretty hard right now. So some of their favorite games were StarCraft, WarCraft 3, and EverQuest. Um, and specifically, they enjoyed these games because of the multiplayer aspect. Uh, they enjoyed playing video games with friends. You know, y you typically have like kind of two sorts of gamers in this category, where either you play one-player games and you love story and you like going through all that kind of stuff, or you like playing games you can play with your friends and has a social aspect to it. Um, so they graduated college. After, you know, playing video games with each other all along and somehow they, they went to class and passed their exams and, and they did graduate. 
uh, from business school. So they both took their degrees and worked in industry for a short period of time. Uh, Beck worked at Bain and Company, and Merrill worked at U.S. Bank. Uh, however, they continued to play video games, uh, and they really, really were getting into it. Um, and they kind of hit this wall where games that they were enjoying, like StarCraft, like Warcraft 3, uh, were being neglected by their developers. Um, and they weren't getting newer updates, they weren't keeping up with adding new content so the game would be continuously playable, um, and, and they felt like the, the developers were leaving too early to work on sequels or a new game or whatever it happened to be. Um, and they also didn't enjoy the fact that it was all developer-based. There wasn't a ton of fan input that was really helping shape these games and create content that the people who were playing it enjoyed the most. So this is Go ahead, yeah. kind of an interesting dynamic because League starts to form right around the time uh, the industry starts to change. So if you go back 10 years or 15 years, that was how video game companies made money is they were continuously releasing sequels. And so if you wanted an improvement or new features or new content, you would buy the new game. So there's no reason really for them to support an older game once they'd sold it because how are you going to make money off that? need to start developing the new thing that you can sell absolutely yeah um and nowadays that's way less common right like now you buy into a game and it's updated and there's maybe you know dlc or yeah, cosmetics or something and it's yeah it's like a system absolutely. that you kind of buy into for a few years right um and and it's these games like starcraft and warcraft that uh, they enjoyed the environment so much and i'm sure i i know i've experienced this i'm sure you know you guys have too just that, uh, that game was so much fun. So getting new aspects, getting new game modes, you know, whatever it happened to be was awesome. You know, I, I, I wanted to keep playing this game, so I wanted new stuff to come in so I could play it, you know? So StarCraft and WarCraft specifically um, had massive modding communities. Uh, I mean, we're talking, when, when I was playing WarCraft 3, which was long after its release, if we're being, you know, perfectly honest... Uh, because my parents definitely waited, made me wait until I was 13 uh, for that T rating so I could play it. Um, I probably played more Warcraft 3 custom games than I did the, the single player mode or like the actual game itself. Like 100%. Oh yeah. Same story here. Sweet. I mean, I was really bad at Warcraft 3, like the actual game. <laughs> that, that's, me I, too. I struggled with RTSs, and at the at the time, I was I don't know, like freshman in high school. I was yeah. fourteen or fifteen, yeah. uh, so I wasn't very good at that. So custom games were kind of nice because you didn't have to focus on building an entire army. You typically focused on a single character, and that was a little more manageable. Yeah. So I have no, um, I have zero experience with Warcraft whatsoever. You never played uh, Warcraft? No, never. Um, but as far as the custom games go, like that was me with Halo. Is we get like after school, go home, and it'd be eight player LAN playing Slayer on Sandtrap in Halo. So I can understand where these guys came from. And Beck has been quoted saying, uh, We were very frustrated when developers would stop supporting us in the communities that were involved with the games that we played. Uh, they felt pressure to move on to something else, and we were just like, Yo, we don't need another SKU. Stay here. There's some obvious improvements that really make this ecosystem last for a long time, and we love playing in it. And so it sounds like the developers would, like y'all were saying, 
they'd make the game, and then at the time, the economy of the games were, we don't make more money unless we make a second game. So there would be no improvements in that first game. So I can understand their frustration and also can understand why you two would sit there and play in custom games because y'all don't want to spend another 60 bucks yeah. for a totally different game. Like, whenever you can have more fun creating and playing stuff that you think is enjoyable. Right. And so these modding communities were a massive part of that. They created whole new game types and completely different, you know, modes and situations uh, from this world builder that were provided in StarCraft and Warcraft. And it was almost like, you know, it wasn't even necessarily a cost thing. Although, you know, when we were in high school and you don't have a lot of money, that's certainly a factor. But so many of these custom games were fun. It was like you were just still exploring everything that this first game had to offer. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. Um, and so there were forums and communities that participated in all this modding, all this custom game creation and editing and stuff like that. And Beck and Merrill were, were definitely uh, way deep into these. Uh, and so based on the conversations they were having, uh, with people in these forums and kind of what they were looking for from the developers and from the game itself uh, They definitely were like really really dissatisfied with how the gaming industry was handling these games that they loved And kind of on on that quote from from Beck that Taylor was talking about uh, I, I really think this is kind of the opinion of anyone who really really likes a game and, and, and whether that goes into sequels uh, or not or just continuous improvement and development on a single game you know if I really like a game I want to keep playing it you know who doesn't right Dark Souls I love Dark Souls I want to keep playing that story I want to keep doing that so I, I think this is evident in in all of gaming culture and that's why we see now these games with DLC these games continuously being improved and, and, and keeping them alive for a long period of time well, I mean, even, not even DLC, like, games like, I mean, obviously you can bring League into it, but games like Fortnite, where there's no DLC, they just consistently update the game to where every single major update essentially changes how you play the game. It brings an entire new area into a map, even though the map hasn't changed, and so it's interesting to see these two guys that have that mentality and I'm sure there are a bunch of other people and people that played the game that had that mentality of we don't want a new game we want updates to the current game that we're already in love with um, so it's kind of interesting to see how long it's taken for the industry to actually open up and listen to the people that are spending the money and listen to the people that are spending the time playing their game so it's pretty cool now to see how that has changed. It's a, it's a good point because you mentioned that there's all these games now where this is sort of like the common practice, right? You've got Fortnite, Ape, name any of those games um, where you get into the game, yeah. TF2, Absolutely. Overwatch, whatever, and it, there's just continuous updates. And it's almost like there were all these soon to be video game developers who kind of had the same opinion. And yeah, it was, it was all these guys who were playing in this era. And then, like, uh, decided, hey, this is something I wanted from the game, so I'm going to go do it myself. Yeah, I guess I never thought about it. It's literally kids yeah. growing up uh -huh. and just saying, 
okay, don't like what I'm doing now. I'm just going to go fix what I didn't like as a kid, and that'll be what I do now. So what do you think is going to be sort of the next iteration or next generation? What are game developers right now, or, you know, aspiring game developers going to be in, like, five or ten years? What's that gamescape? Personally, I think a lot of the things that I really enjoyed growing up and playing is that multiplayer aspect. A lot of kind of in between like the last kind of five, ten years almost seems like it. a lot of the developers focused on story, 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 single player, single player, single player. And the games that hit huge on markets were games like Modern Warfare 2, like any of the Call of Duties or Halos, where you'd get in and it'd be your home after school, you're playing with all of your buddies. So a little bit of Fortnite has done that. Um, but I think they're going to keep with, okay, how can we let people be social with their friends in an online environment? And I think that's going to stay around for a while. Like a lot of what I enjoy out of the video games isn't the story and isn't kind of being on my own, being immersed in that. It's how can I have more interactions? How can I hang out with my buddies without needing to go and spend money anywhere? Without needing to go out? I think I think we're moving towards uh, kind of what was promised with uh, Star Citizen. Yeah. What the uh, hell yeah, is that? I know of it. So, then you should explain. Yeah, so Star Citizen was a game that was supposed to be described uh, it was a crowdfunded, kickstarted game that was. I mean, you say was. Is it, as is it still the, is? It's like probably still in development. I I think it. Yeah, I think it is still in development. But it it it's described as being this infinite world. Uh, so they have an infinite space generation, um, and it's an online game where like you start in a ship and then you like build your ship you build your crew you continuously improve upon this so so it's 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 like a multiplayer online mmorpg type situation so essentially like the big one that broke news that i know of was no man's sky it's it's like a it's essentially a multiplayer version it's like this creep scope so it was kind some aspects of it were very similar to no man's sky where it was like you could explore but then they were also like, oh, if you want to get really in to the, you know, managing your ships, like the old Artemis simulator or like Faster yeah. Than Light, where you wanted to like have a crew and, okay. oh, we'll also have all those features. Oh, and if you want to have like really cool, you know, gun battles with, with lasers and stuff, like we're going to have a lot of F- FPS mechanics. And Okay, so Ben, you're, bas- you're basically just trying to say like where you think it's going is... This, We're gonna let you do whatever the heck you yes, want to do. This massive because, free world. Because we finally have, like, do you think we have the technology to actually complete that? Because so, if, Star Citizen was crowdfunded. Uh, they hit a bunch. Last time I read up on it, they hit a bunch of limitations and were really struggling to deliver on everything that they kind of wanted to get in the game, which is why they postponed it and asked for more funding and all this kind of stuff. So we're not at like a triple A game in this where it's just such a big free world. If you want to sit on a planet and mine rocks for ten hours, you can. But also <laughs> if you want to like 
go blow up 25 ships in a massive fight, you can also do that. So I don't think we're there with like AAA games, but I think that's what we're moving towards for sure. That, that multiplayer thing is what draws people in, and I, I think we've definitely seen that with like Fortnite and Apex in recent times. Uh, but also just like the freedom, right? RuneScape was a massive game, and in a controlled mm-hmm. way, that's kind of what Star Citizen was offering. And that, I, I believe that was the biggest crowdfunded game in history. So, I don't know. I, th- I think that's where we're moving towards, definitely, for sure. So, Blizzard was definitely on the early front of this. Uh, they stayed with StarCraft and WarCraft uh, through multiple expansions and multiple different releases. So, they were kind of the first developing game developing company that stayed with a game and released consistent updates and really, like, expanded on kind a, a little bit what fans and people who played it a lot wanted not a ton uh but but they kept with the game for, for an extended period of time which is very new and continual patches which is a big part of yes, that yes absolutely yeah and so this is kind of where we're starting to see the ideas uh and, and some of the influences that led to league of legends so specifically in starcraft uh, there is the Aeon of Strife. I'm probably butchering that, butchering that word. Aeon, Eon? Uh, yeah. Aeon sounds Aeon. right. For a noob, Aeon sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> sounds right. Uh, and, and then Warcraft 3's uh, Dota. Um, so these are two custom games that were created uh, by members of the community. Uh, mods that were able to be played and, and supported uh, on servers by Blizzard. So Aeon of Strife was a 1998 mod for StarCraft uh, created by the community member Aeon64. Uh, And then Dota uh, was also created for, or was created for Warcraft 3, also by a community member, uh, Yule. He ported and expanded Aeon of Strife uh, to the new engine in Warcraft and then named it Defense of the Ancients, or Dota for short. So, so Uh, Taylor, you said you didn't play any Warcraft, so I know you didn't play the original Dota. Ben, did you ever touch that custom game? Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. I played I played Dota, Dota All-Stars. It was definitely a little janky, uh, you know, because you, you were playing on the Warcraft 3 engine. So it, it obviously was not designed. Yeah, like this. item shops were a little um, odd. Yeah, the item shops were really weird. And then w- when you first got into it, it was definitely hard to understand what so was So that was going to be my biggest comment. I mean, you guys all know kind of the complexity of games like League where you need to know all the different characters' powers and, like, uh, you need to have a build kind yeah, of outlined very... and you adjust it based on who you're fighting against and, like, who's doing well on the other team or whatever. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And very it, high skill threshold. And it, it doesn't cross over to either, to any other Dotas either. It's very specific to title. So, a little bit ago, me and a buddy, uh, a buddy got me into playing Smite and it's the exact same thing. Map is the exact same as League, essentially. Three lanes, jungle. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what was optimal. No idea what uh, gods, in the sense of smite, were good. And I had, I've had years and years of experience at League at this point. And so it is... I can't even... If I've had this much experience going from one Dota to another... I can't even think of how confusing it would be for people that this is the first experience that they've had with this. So, especially in a quote-unquote janky thing, in a janky system, 
That's um, where I was headed with that. It, I, Imagine trying to learn yeah. all that. Like you were talking about with Smite, trying to figure out what's an optimal build, but with no context and no... There's no forums. The best thing you can do is, you can is type in team at, chat at this and be point, like, I'm hey, sure it's, <laughs> what do I buy? The, it, the only people that know it, like, are the people that created yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this led to Dota All-Stars. So there was the original Dota on Warcraft 3. Um, and then at one of the new expansions, uh, I believe Frozen Throne uh, in Warcraft 3, uh, Dota All-Stars was created. So this is basically a new version of Dota created by a different uh, community member uh, known as Steve Gwinsu Feek. Um, and this is where we see our, our, our third main creator of League of Legends. So he expanded the game, added a large number of heroes, items, recipes, and changed the gameplay a little bit, tweaked it through to make it a better game. So at this point, uh, after... You know, Beck and Merrill are kind of getting fed up with the gaming industry and where they're at. They aren't really enjoying their jobs. They're they're really passionate about video games. So they decided to take matters into their own hands. Uh, they hire Feek and a couple other members who created Dota All-Stars, uh, that, that mod for Warcraft 3, and decided that, hey, this is a really great game. We really like it. We think it can support itself. It's fun. It's innovative. It's a new genre. And we can make it an independent game with its own engine. And, and sell it, you know, this this new independent game based on something that we've had a ton of fun with. Um, and so this kind of created uh, what we now know as a MOBA, or a multi multiplayer online battle arena. So Beck and Merrill finally decided to take matters into their own hands with Feek and a few of the other members that created Dota All-Stars uh, as that mod for Warcraft 3. They decided the game was super fun, innovative, and it was essentially a new genre that they would be able to develop this game independently on its own engine and still have it be extremely successful. Uh, so this helped to create the genre that we now know as MOBA, or Multiplayer Online Battle Arena. Uh, at the time, they drew inspiration from Asian game designers who were making free games and then charging for additional perks. Um, it, it would be very hard to charge, like, say, $60 for a game and then be able to continuously support and update it without any consistent funds. So by creating it as a free game and then having players spend money for these additional perks, you allow it to be a sustainable game that can be continuously updated and fan-driven. Um, so they founded Riot Games in 2006 to begin to undertake this endeavor with the intent that the company would be incredibly player and, and fan and community-focused and making games that were constantly evolving uh, and being you know, developed and were also competitive. And this is kind of funny because it is called Riot Games with an S on the end there. Uh, and as of now, they have only produced one game in 13 years. And this is something that the creators actually joke about a little bit because they say, we do plan on adding that S and keeping to that that's in our name at some point, but right now, like League is so successful and making so much money and they're they're still like developing it and still having fun doing it or whatever so they're sticking with it i mean i guess you can make the argument that all the different game modes are essentially games yeah that's that's um, true i mean that's sort of like wasn't fortnite originally just like a battle royale game mode of an actual game that epic had uh, developed yes yeah it was yes. essentially a more kid-friendly, cartooned-up version of zombies is you just build up and stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I'd like to issue a formal complaint and say they need to change their name to Riot Game. 
uh, just sounds a lot better. Just be Riot uh, Gang. They've actually <laughs> Riot, Riot, Riot Gang. Gang. They've actually no, can can they change it to Raito actually because they troll so much in this game with broken champs with especially anything that gets released any new champion you always see people refer to them as Raito instead of Riot. Um, I think it needs to be Raito game. That is my official complaint. Just embrace uh, the meme. That'll be my slogan for President 2020. They've actually, they, they have a pretty good research and development uh, group, which I, I ended up reading quite a bit about. They have been planning and working on developing and producing uh, a new game multiple times. And then they've kind of just said, like, it wasn't up to our standards. We didn't like how it was going. You know, we'd rather be, like, focusing on League. Um, so, so they actually have, like, developed new stuff and are working towards new things. They just haven't gotten anything that they feel is a uh, solid enough product that they can really release and ha- have it be what League is and meet those standards and what, what it was able to reach. And like, I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. Normally you'd want a company, because in the end of the day, this is a company that's trying to make money. You'd want them to continuously try to improve, to create new things, to release new products, but this is their bread and butter, and why not stick to it? Not enough people do that nowadays. They consistently try and send something new out, shove something down the throats of their consumers, and it doesn't work a lot of the times. So the fact that they have a set standard that they have yet to reach for whatever reason and they're sticking by that bar that they've set i actually applaud them you don't see that too much nowadays that was their original manifesto right they were like oh developers keep making new games and not fixing their old ones and they're kind of staying true to that absolutely and and they actually have taken some of the ideas that have gone into development and then put them into league whether that be with a new game mode for you know short time release or whatever it happens to be, um, so that, that you know that's kind of also cool. So League of Legends, we're getting into the beginnings of it here. It's about time. <laughs> they raised one and a half million dollars through family and angel investors uh, to launch Riot in two thousand and six. So the game was originally titled Onslaught, and it had a metal music soundtrack and featured an undead theme. So I know for two members of us, that would have been... Yeah, that sounds pretty tight. cool. Yeah, uh, uh, that's not me. <laughs> if you couldn't tell from our intro music, you know, player one and player two may like our metal, uh, and and I, I think this would have been a pretty great theme. I could have handled it. would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been all over that. Uh, yeah. Uh, they decided eventually that it was a little too gimmicky, and they did move away from it. But... So in 2007, they traveled to the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco with a demo uh, of Onslaught with this metal music and everything, and they pitched the game to publishers. And it did not have a very good reception. Um, so from this, they, they kind of learned that they didn't want to hand their game over to a publisher. Uh, they didn't want to develop it and stick as a developing company and then give their game up to someone who would then tell them everything to change and completely change the nature of the game. Um, so as in, in, in all of these meetings, they, there were talks about physical releases, publishing cycles, and sequels, which were the very things that they didn't like with the current games that they were playing uh, and the things that they were trying to avoid with this new company. So 
they decided, hey, we don't just want to be a game developer. We want to be a game developer and a publisher. We want to take the game all the way through and make it our game with the, the style and exactly what we're looking for. So in mid-2007, they dropped the edginess uh, that was in the original title of Onslaught, and they also dropped the title Onslaught, and transitioned to League of Legends Clash of Fates. Um, so a little bit different than what we see now. Uh, in October 2008, League was officially announced with a pre-alpha version, uh, and they got the Chinese mega publisher Tencent to distribute in China. Yeah, so this is a little fun tidbit. So basically, in any market, if you want to sell in China, you have to partner with a Chinese company, and they're the ones who like distribute your product. Um, so that's a kind of a big barrier to entry in China and usually a problem for a lot of companies because you already designed a product and then you just have to share it with a Chinese company who could steal your stuff uh, if you want to sell in China. But I think for Riot, this has mostly been a good thing, mainly because the Chinese market for League is massive. Yeah, well, the Chinese market in general is huge, uh, but they got really lucky with the company that they chose. And they definitely they picked a company that aligned with their what they were looking for and their values of video game management. And so they kind of looked at their history and they found Tencent to be a good company that had kind of been identical to what they were trying to do uh, in the future. So as they started to build Riot Games and as they started to get people on to, to help build this new game that was gonna be significantly different than anything that had come in the past, uh, they recruited people based on passion and what they called intangibles. Uh, as opposed to experience and people who had good resumes and had done things in the gaming industry in the past. Uh, and as you can possibly expect, this did lead to a few issues. Uh, one of the main ones being in mid-2008, they had to completely scrap and remake their back-end technology platform. Uh, they took shortcuts when they were originally building it um, to hit release. Or Sorry, I apologize. They, they, their back-end was not good enough. It couldn't handle what they were doing. And so as they had to completely scrap and remake it, uh, they, they took shortcuts in order to hit the release date. Um, and they also built it on the uh, notoriously problem-prone Adobe Air system. Yeah, I, I remember this succinct, or distinctly because I, I'm not, I know nothing about video game development and very little about coding of any kind. But I remember Adobe Air being a meme when I got into League because it was still based on the Adobe Air system at the time. Yes. And, and yeah. people would, any, anytime anything bad happened, it was like Adobe Air, you know, who's heard, what is Adobe Air? Have you heard about it since, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely not. It, 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 it was such a buggy, awful platform. Um, it, it was super low cost and technically quote unquote easy to work in. Uh, so that's typically why it was used, but now like absolute garbage. Um, so this created issues uh, because they had to throw together this platform really quickly from mid-2008 to 2009 in order to be able to hit release. Um, and then so when the game actually did start taking off and getting a ton of users, it was not designed to scale to the number of users they were getting. Uh, and that ended up creating a large, large amount of work uh, in order to fix that. And then it also created further issues in the scaling process. So the beta of League of Legends was released in April of 2009. Um, so 
before the final release of the game, so actually before the beta too, they finally decided to drop the subtitle uh, Clash of Fates um, and just change it to League of Legends. Uh, they kind of originally decided that, oh, like Warcraft, you have Warcraft Frozen Throne, which is the only one I played and I don't remember any of the other ones. Reign of Chaos, maybe. Uh, or, no, that's not right. There it is, yep. No, uh, actually I think I had that later in our notes, man. Reign of Chaos, I'm pretty sure. But, they decided that they weren't going to go with that subtitle. They'd originally planned uh, that they would change it for every content drop, kind of like you had in Warcraft or Starcraft, um, and then kind of have fun with the acronyms. Because we already have League of Legends, which is known as LOL. Um, so they, they, a couple that they had thought about were uh, League of Legends, Wizards, Thieves, and Fighters, LOL, WTF, and League of Legends, Pirates with Ninjas, or LOL, Pwn. Uh, things like that. So they, they kind of wanted it to be, for each release, we'll drop something new and then have a fun name with it. But they ended up dropping it because they thought, uh, we're really trying to force cleverness. It's not, it, it doesn't have any impact. We're just trying to be fun with it. And that's not really what we want, what we want and what we see uh, as our vision for the company. So the game was finally released uh, in October of 2009. Past beta, we get to this full release of the game. Uh, at launch, there were 40 playable champions, and it was a free-to-play game uh, where they absolutely avoided the pay-to-win scenario. Everything you pay for uh, is either some sort of uh, visual update uh, or some sort of fun thing that you can use. It has nothing to do with actual gameplay at all. So the creators didn't think that the game would be as big of a hit um, at all. They, they definitely viewed it as a hardcore niche game. They thought they were going to hit players who wanted to be playing this kind of game, uh, had played it before, whether that was Aeon of Strife or uh, Dota or anything of that sort. They didn't think they were going to get a large number of gamers in a quick amount of time. Uh, and this is mainly due to the fact that the game was extremely competitive and had a massive learning curve. You have to know what's going on, like we talked about previously. If, if you don't understand the ins and outs of every part of this game, it's hard to be good. It is very, very hard. It's uncompromising on mechanics, and in order to learn all this stuff, it requires a massive time investment. You have to spend a ton of time in this game, consistently playing it, watching it, whatever that may be, in order to be good at it. That's something I think we've all experienced so we is when you try to introduce a friend to League of Legends and just... <laughs> It, you have to tell them, like, oh, no, you'll have fun in two weeks or, like, in a month. And then just any time you play with them, you just know you're going to lose and it, like, won't be fun. But you want them to learn so eventually you can, like, play and have fun together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so these guys thought it was not going to get a huge amount of players involved because of the competitiveness. So I know you two played pretty early on in the seasons. It was what? Season one, season two? Yeah. Somewhere really, really early in the game. Um, With where you started versus where it is now, is it harder now than it was back then? Oh, absolutely. So compared to then the other games that were out there, so I'm sure Warcraft, which what essentially league stems off of was warcraft harder than this was this harder than warcraft what did you all see from that so the custom games in warcraft 
it, it was literally like, um, so Blizzard hosted the servers, but it was some dude at his house, some random nerd would, would host this game that he had downloaded. And then you would just hop into it and then play with no sort of, um, any sort of ranking system, any sort of matchmaking system or anything like that. And then people could like, you know, mess with the game and make it broken and make it not be the actual custom game that you were expecting to play. Uh, they, they could mess with the code and make it a new game. So it was totally for fun. It was not very competitive, to, for me anyway. Um, it was like you kind of just hopped on and played this game, and then it was, it, it was fun, and then you were done. And that was it. Okay, so these two guys more so saw it as a comparison of... Which I guess makes sense. Sodic is a comparison of the custom games that were around that really led them on to co- to create this new game. From that custom game to this vision of this new game that they had, this new game, because it was you couldn't mod it, you couldn't change any of the customs. You everybody that played knew the limitations of what they were about to play. It was harder in that respect, but it's definitely gotten harder than what it is now. Because I didn't start until probably two, three years ago, I think. Yeah, 2015, I think. Um, Where really there's not much difference in terms of what it looks like, how it plays. I mean, of course the meta's changed, but... There wasn't, there isn't a huge difference between what it was two, three years ago versus what it is now. Yeah. But if you look at it, and if you, I've seen highlights, and I've watched old worlds games, um, it looks like a totally different game yeah. from back when y'all started yeah. versus whenever I started versus what it is now. So yeah, I, I think um, this is a good point to hop into kind of you know when we started playing the game and kind of what our opinions so of it are. My perspective uh, of so, it is yeah, is ahead. kind of. So I actually, I played a little bit of Warcraft 3, I really played Starcraft 2, and then shortly after that was introduced to League. So I would say those RTS type games, I think, are more challenging games in general, because there's so much to keep track of and multitask. But the interesting thing is these MOBA games like League, and, and League really in specific have taken off and become so popular and the, there's so much money in the esports scene. And that's, that's being an e-athlete is something people do now that yeah, oh, yeah that, I don't think you job. ever play a casual game of league. Everyone sits down to play league. They're like in to win and to improve their skills. And so like the amount of effort you have to expend learning to kind of be competitive in league is probably higher than it would have to be in Starcraft. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's always, you know, at least one person who's playing the game seriously or, you know, a couple people or whatever it happens to be. There's always some some level of I'm not goofing off, I am trying to win this And I game. think whether that's a normal game or, or a ranked game or something that matters or something that doesn't And as matter. it got more popular and their esports program gets more developed and more money gets funneled into it like we're going to talk about, I think that pressure to like be competitive and perform well only gets higher. So Taylor, like you talked about now, like I imagine it's way harder at uh, higher levels of the game than it was before. Like people are just more fine tuned. They spend more time playing. It's taken more seriously. Yeah, definitely. 
and, and they, they did fairly significantly change the mechanics, um, I, I, I believe like 2016 or 2017, uh, where we'll talk about it later. Uh, but, but they did change quite a bit. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't say mechanics. They changed some of the, some of the portions of the game uh, that affect the overall mechanics. Um, and, and, and that really shifted kind of playing styles and things like that. Um, so after the game was released, within two months of launch, they already had uh, over 100,000 players playing concurrently, so at the same time. Uh, and this is, this is big. I mean, within two months of launch. Uh, this was not a physical release game, so it was all online, all advertising, things like that. And so the fact that they had 100,000 players concurrently in two months is massive. And I think a lot of this was due to uh, people who were playing Warcraft and things like that, and then knew that this game was coming out, and was a uh, you know a style of game that they previously enjoyed. And so the game continued to grow extremely, extremely quickly, which actually ended up being a problem. Uh, you think that's great? Oh, you're selling you know or not selling copies, but you're getting a lot of people playing. You're selling a lot uh, of in-game stuff. You're making a lot of money. That's awesome. Uh, but Riot had to scale in, in order to keep up with all these players, all their servers, uh, and, and have that be able to handle all these all these players. And so that, that definitely was a problem. Uh, and they described it as trying to build a plane while you're flying it. Uh, so definitely not good. Uh, that's not something, something you would ever want to do, I don't think. Um, so as they continued development of the game, uh, they went through multiple further rounds of investing, uh, as they definitely needed the money. And it ended up totaling $8 million, uh, with the most significant being uh, the company that was distributing for them in China, uh, the holding company Tencent. Uh, they would be their distributor in China, as we talked about previously, and eventually, as we'll get to later, they end up buying Riot outright. Um, so as the game was player-based, this definitely complicated the development. Um, they they really 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 wanted fan input as some that this was something that they started out and, and was a tenant to their company and was something that they experienced in older games. So this means that fans could want the game to go in any direction. So if you're trying to base it off of you know what most of your fans want, uh, you know seventy percent of your fans could say, hey, we want this to be a single player story game. We really like the lore. This is super cool. Uh, build us a single player single player story mode. Or they could say, oh, you know, we like this uh, a lot, but why don't we add more than five people for a team? Why don't we say, oh, there's you know twenty five people for a team, or you know whatever it happens to be. So the fact that they were going to allow their fans to have this much control over the game and where it went meant that they had a really good basis, but from there, they could go in any direction, and they had to be ready for you know whatever that happened to be. As it turns out, they got super lucky, uh, mainly, I think, not necessarily luck, but because they built a great game. Uh, fans just wanted more of what was currently there. They wanted what the game was, they just wanted more of it. More champs, you know, more items, whatever it happened to be. So in 2010, uh, Riot began to realize that not only did people like to play League, they liked to watch it. Uh, and this was massive. So this was in a time before, really, there was Twitch. Uh, so there wasn't a huge game streaming community, and there wasn't a huge game watching community either. It was still like fringe level. Um, and so the fact that they found that players really, really like to watch it allowed them to move on 
and, and continue to do new things, uh, which we will, you know, touch on here in a bit. This is for me the first game that I remember people watching replays of and stuff to learn, like like reviewing yeah, footage same. or whatever. I mean, I know some people really. Well, I take that back. So StarCraft Two was first, but by like a year or so. But this That's was on true. a much larger scale. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I did watch stuff in StarCraft, but um, definitely not on, on the same scale that I watched League uh, or tried to learn uh, from previous or, or better people, you know. Um, so Merrill and Beck were StarCraft players, and so they knew about esports as StarCraft um, was an esport game. And they knew that a competitive game like League had the potential for a large esport community. Um, but based on you know kind of their early estimation and how many people they thought would play it and stuff like that, they definitely under, underestimated how big it would end up getting. Um, so there were multiple fan organized tournaments. Uh, people were playing this game competitively by themselves, uh, which you see really in a lot of games like we talked about previously with you know Smash Bros. Melee and things like that. Um, and so then after multiple of these fan organized tournaments, Riot decided, hey, we are going to host this ourselves. Uh, which is definitely very, very unique. Most companies and most games decide we're going to let a third party do it. Uh, you know, whether this is like DreamHack or MLG or whatever it happens to be. Um, so for season one, they put out competitive play. And then in the summer of 2010, uh, and then after that, after they had that competitive play, they added their championship to DreamHack Summer in 2011. And so it's after this where they decided to take it solo. Uh, they did this kind of just on a whim. They were like, oh, we're getting a lot of numbers in our competitive season. Let's let's try putting it at a professional level and see what happens. I remember the DreamHack being kind of a big deal. It was kind of a joke, actually, with the people we played with. Because it was such a cool thing. Anytime we would play... Our, our friends would be like, oh, okay, DreamHack 2012, boys. Like, we got to get ready for DreamHack, you know, and we were all garbage at the game. Uh, but anytime you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to play or do you want to play more games? You're like, yeah, man, DreamHack 2012, we got to get ready. <laughs> so as someone that had no idea what the heck this was back then, is DreamHack essentially, like, is it is it just a gaming convention? Is yeah. it... It's a large. Is, is it just a gaming convention solely meant for competitive play in different games? Is it? It's a third party that hosts a lot of games uh, for their championship or large tournaments. So, um, it'd, so it'd be like an MLG because MLG makes it's sense. like the European it, MLG. It, they would basically. put on they would put on tournament tournaments. Um, so DreamHack is just a separate MLG is a league, quote unquote, yeah. and DreamHack is an event. Okay. So okay. there's like that a DreamHack Counter-Strike Go tournament. Okay. And I'm assuming back at the time, because League hosted their championship there, DreamHack was the big event, people? Yes, DreamHack okay. was, was very large back in the day. Still is, honestly. Um, and so at this DreamHack Summer 2011, uh, they ended up with over 100,000 concurrent viewers, uh, which was huge, huge. I mean, that's even that. big nowadays. Yeah, for for a game other than like one of the top top games, even over a hundred thousand current concurrent would be big. Like you, yeah. So like, back in twenty eleven, this was like massive. It, like a hundred thousand on Twitch is, as far as I'm aware, is still pretty unheard of. Yeah. 
So the fact that, that they were getting this at their first major, major tournament was huge for them. I mean, just... This unheard. is more than four times uh, larger than your typical Magic Pro Tour stream <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so based on this, Riot said, hey, uh, we have a massive hit on our hands. We, we got to capitalize on this. And we also have to make it what we want it to be, not what someone else wants it to be. So they took the risk and decided to run their own competitive leagues after this first tournament, uh, as opposed to having that third party like DreamHack or MLG or whatever it happens to be run it for them. Um, so this cost a huge amount of money, right? Because you have to have the venue, you have to have all the equipment, you have to have all the people uh, who are you know refing or uh, managing the entire event, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it also involved uh, a lot of mistakes, uh, the biggest of which happened the next year in the championship, the world championship of season two. Uh, and so this was the Chinese team WE uh, versus the European CLG or counter logic gaming team. Uh, so during the game, it was an extremely intense game. We're getting to the, the longer end of how games typically run. So we're at like 50 minutes uh, and the internet connection for the entire venue went down. Everyone was kicked from the game, they all disconnected from the internet, and that means the game just stops. And there is no physical way that you can reset it to all of the conditions that they were at at that exact moment when it stopped. So they restarted the game. And as they restarted the game, they got 30 minutes in approximately, and they had to restart again because they again dropped the internet connection. And so after that, they just said, we're canceling it. This is the grand finals. This is, you know, the, the last two teams left. It was a super intense game. Dropped twice, and they said, we're just not going to continue because the internet's going to drop again, and we can't handle this. So this is huge. Like, I didn't know this prior. And 50 minutes into a game, if that game is, if League is anything like it is now, 50 minutes means essentially if you get one, two kills especially on the right people, that's game. Yeah. It and was... so the fact that this is technically their season two championship, this is as big as it gets, for that to happen, that's that's mind-boggling. I mean, and yeah. then for it to happen again, and even 30 minutes into a game nowadays, if you kill the right two people, if the other team only has one, maybe two carries, that's Games. And, and this so was, this was a tournament in Los Angeles in America, and you have two foreign teams playing for the championship, and then you cancel. So that's a one. I've got to think that these that riots like, well, this is it. Like, there, what are we gonna do? There's no way back from this. But as we've seen, it's still out, and it's even bigger than it is now than it was back then. But this is actually kind of cool because they now. They've learned their lesson. They now have ways to, like Ben said, it to at 32 minutes and 10 seconds, they can save that game state. And if somebody has a problem after that, they can go back. They can rewind if it's one, two, three minutes. They can say, okay, everybody is in this exact position. They have these items. The minions are at this point in the lane. These certain jungle camps are up. These are the buffs that each player has. Like, they can go back to that exact time reference 
and restart the game. And so it's really cool to kind of connect those dots into watching pro games now and having a timeout to where they think a glitch happened, it actually happened, and then they reset to a certain point in time. So they've learned their lesson yeah, absolutely. big time. This is something they, they definitely improved on. This was at a point before they even had independent servers or an independent game state that they could run for tournaments. They were literally playing this on like the normal league servers that everyone else was playing on. Uh, so they, they, they definitely improved from this. This was a huge learning experience for them. And I think, I, I think the fact that they were such a fan-driven game and the fan had such an input uh, and the community was so involved is really what kind of kept them going. Even though there was this massive mistake, it was a game that everyone loved, and they were so receptive to everything that was going on, well, and, and they worked to move past it. Well, I even think, even if they didn't have a uh, 100,000 plus viewing it, I think even if it's just this, even if you closed it off to a 5v5 between the pros, and it's only these two guys that started Riot, they would see this, and they would say, okay, this game is a failure, we, as people that love to play this game, we need to fix this. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so they did that really out of their own experience, not even, like, regardless of what the fans think. Yeah. This is something that personally to them needs to be fixed, and that's, you don't see that often. And so in 2011, uh, Tencent, the holding Chinese company that distributed League of Legends that we talked about previously, bought 93% of Riot. Uh, so this was a massive, massive purchase. Uh, Riot wanted this to happen, and they stated it as being extremely beneficial as Tencent gave them the full creative freedom that they wanted uh, and, and had those business ideals and understanding of that creative freedom that were aligned with Riot. Uh, and, and they didn't have to deal with the multiple investors who they were having to deal with previously, trying to pull them in all these different directions, whether that was releasing sequels or whatever, which is what they really did not want to do and, and, and was differing from what they started out with in kind of their mission statement at Riot. Uh, and then in 2015, Tencent bought the remaining 7%. Uh, so this Chinese company owns 100% of Riot Games and League of Legends. Uh, but let's Riot operate 100% independently, which is extremely important to, I think, how well League of Legends is doing um, and, and, and how they're able to, to put out this awesome game continuously. Uh, and so in March 2013, a beta was released for Mac Client. And this was massive. This expands your player base significantly, allowing... Uh, th this major like AAA game being allowed to play on Max, brand new, uh, very innovative, and and definitely expanded their player base. I I remember this. I have, I have mixed feelings about the Mac beta. Uh, <laughs> one of our good friends really wanted to play with us, and he had a Mac. So when the Mac beta yes. came out, he was super pumped. But it was a beta, and it was buggy. So a lot of times queuing up with him meant he would drop partway through <laughs> which is a huge bummer in League very, of Legends it's, it's very 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 true sounds like a lot of the guys that we play yeah with it's it's still, it's still basically Max from Max from 2014 2015 whenever they entered college yeah I, and I, they, it's just that's all they have and it runs on there it's not great but it runs and then they'll disconnect or 
the queue time for them is extended because they don't have the specs. Yeah, that's partly due to the wait, wait. To they, uh, I mean, this is in, this is incredibly important for uh, player three here, Taylor playing because he started out on Mac. I mean, ayo, yeah, this I, so is yeah. Calling it way back, the very first time I played league was my sophomore year of college, I believe. So, shoot, four or five years ago, yeah, and we were. Yeah. We were in an airport traveling for a soccer game in college, and two of my buddies pulled out their laptops and were playing league on their laptops in an airport off that Wi-Fi. And so there's three of Garbage. us. Garbage. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it didn't work very well, but there were three of us that kind of were sitting there watching them. And we're like, hey, we're going to get to the hotel. We're going to download this game. And that's where I started. Yeah. It took me about a year, year and a half to really get into the game and to really put time into it, but that's the first experience I had. And so even though this Mac client, this this beta for Mac was buggy, it at least opened the door for me two, three years down the road from when this was released to get into this game. And now I've put days upon days upon days into this. And even whenever I'm out traveling, I don't have my PC with me, but I have my Mac, and it's it doesn't run as smoothly, but it definitely runs, and it allows me to play a game that I love, whereas otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. And so that's, that's kind of huge. Yeah. And so the fact that they were smart enough to realize, oh, hey, Mac, is, Mac and Apple is going to do some big things, and we need to be able to not only give them a way to play, but give them a way to cross-platform between Mac and PC, it's kind of ingenious. It's kind of, I don't know if I'm right here, but it seems like, at least in my mind, the first people that kind of do this. I didn't have much experience with Mac, so I honestly couldn't tell you on that one. I think it was definitely an important step in their development and making it more popular. For sure, Um, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I don't. I'm sure it wasn't the first one, but it was definitely a good move for them. You know. Oh, absolutely! Expanded their player base massively. I bet. Did I hear that right? So this is maybe something they've added after I left. But are they queuing you up based on hardware specs? Does that impact what games you get matched in? Um. So with some of the guys that we play with. They have, I mean, they entered. No. They they got into yes and no. So yeah. they got into college, and basically, whenever you go into college, you get your laptop. They got they went into college in 2012, 2013, and they still have Macs from back then. Yeah. And there have been times where we'll get into into queues that on their computer it will say you've been in a low priority queue due to so many times dropping out oh, okay. yeah. because of So if your hardware, hardware so is they a don't problem, match make you you kind of get blacklisted yes. but it's not like they physically Yeah. Yeah, they don't they don't match make you with hardware but they do take that into account and say you're getting low priority. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Hardware. Yeah. And it I mean it's nothing big. It just increases our queue time from a minute and a half to 3 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't bad whatsoever. Um, so I guess that means we're moving on to the actual gameplay. So for you listeners that have somehow 
made it this far into the podcast and still have no idea the basics of League. Uh, I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. Um, so League of Legends is a third-person MOBA. Um, the players will compete in games lasting from 20 to 60 minutes. Uh, they work on teams uh, across three different game modes, whether it's a 5v5 on a map that has three separate lanes, a 5v5 in one single lane, or a 3v3 in what I believe is a two-lane map. Um, so the victory condition is you go through um, the map, destroying a series of defensive towers, eventually working your way into the enemy team's base and destroying what is called a nexus. Uh, once you destroy the nexus, game's over. So in all of these game modes, uh, the player controls a summoner, uh, that summoner is a champion, whether it be, um, a range champion, a melee, they all have their unique set of abilities. Uh, each match begins with all, f we'll say five champions beginning at level one and the max level is 18. Um, and that was determined through each champion has four separate abilities. Each ability can be leveled one through five. Uh, so doing the math, you get up to level 18 and that's all abilities being maxed out with your ultimate only being three levels um, so through killing minions in your lane through killing monsters in the jungle and through killing your enemy champions uh, you work your way through the lanes kill the turrets that are in the way of the nexus kill the enemy nexus you win the game um, so kind of a, a way that they use to reward kills is they would have longer respawn timers for the champions that died as the game goes on so you die one minute in the game you have a 10 second respawn timer you die 50 minutes in the game you have a minute respawn timer really rewards uh good solid play later into the game whenever it really counts um and then kind of the way you get better level up. As you level up, you spend gold to get items. You get gold by killing minions, killing monsters, killing champions, killing turrets. Uh, gold is used to then spend items, and those items, depending on your champion, depending on your champion's abilities, uh, really help your champion improve, do more damage, um, and be more of an asset to your team. Um, so, player one... We'll then take it away as far as the different maps go. So in the three game modes that we mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to start out with Summoner's Rift, uh, is what the first one is known as. And so this is where there are two teams of five players, and they compete to destroy the opposing team's nexus, which we mentioned earlier, uh, which is then defended by the opposing team. So there's, there's these two teams of five players fighting against each other actively the entire time. Uh, the nexus is located in the enemy base, uh, at the top right and bottom left corners of the screen. So the orientation of the overall map is always set. Um, the, the Nexus creates these weak non-player characters called minions uh, that are the largest source of experience and gold for the players in these lanes. Uh, they consistently advance and are spawned at intervals towards the enemy base through three lanes, which are known as top, middle, and bottom. I don't know if this is still a thing, because I'm 
you know, I haven't played the game in a while. But do you guys remember for a while there was this discussion? I think it was bottom had an advantage supposedly because of like the toolbar yes. with block things. And then so you would the argument was always like, Oh, just reduce the size of your HUD and then it's not a problem. But there are these people who were really upset and thought, you know, top was basically being handicapped. Is this still a thing? Uh absolutely still a thing and for somebody that for i know some people are going to hate me for saying this and think i know nothing but for the majority of my games i do play with at least a lock screen hotkey um playing on what i believe the pros call red side which is with your base on the top right of the map um i play a lot of bot lane and yeah the hud size can really mess with you because if the enemy bot laners have any sort of poke, any sort of long range ability, that HUD gets in your way. Um, there is definitely, um, they've kind of approached this problem in saying you can shrink your HUD um, as well as, I think, which is actually really smart. I don't know if it's always been this way, but um, competitively, the red side gets last pick, so they will always have counter pick. Um, so uh, I don't know okay. if that was made in order to kind of try and balance out that bottom lane uh, difference yeah. with the HUD. But for a lot of pro players, competitive players, really even kind of just relaxed, everyday common players, a lot of people don't play lock screen and so that hud doesn't really matter to them it, it does a little um, bit and this is definitely still something that is talked about at the professional level uh this it is included in strategy it's definitely a thought i wouldn't say it's like extremely extremely important but it it's still it still exists yeah that, that there's still discussion on that there's still uh workarounds and things that you have to do in order to to kind of get around that so, in these lanes, there are three defensive turrets for each team and each of those lanes, respectively. Uh, and then in between these lanes uh, is this neutral area, a uh, large area that you, know, you can move through or whatever, that is known as the jungle. And it's split into four quadrants by these three lanes and a shallow river that runs from the top left of the screen to the bottom right. Uh, and so this allows these four quadrants known as top and bottom jungle of red and blue side uh, as the two different team sides are known as. Um, so in this neutral jungle, there are an array of small monsters as well as two buffs known as red buff and blue buff uh, that upon defeat give the player a temporary augmentation or, or buff or addition to their abilities, whether that be extra damage uh, or, or a burn after that does increase damage for an extended period of time, or whatever it may be. Um, so another thing in the jungle is this area on the map, whether it's on your half of the map, whether it's on their half of the map, is covered in what's called the Fog of War. Um, so anybody on your team, any minions on your team, they provide vision. So the mini-map is highlighted up. You can see whatever's around it. Um in the jungle, though, mainly, you have this fog of war, which means in the mini-map, even if you hover over the map specifically in that part, it's going to be black. Um, so you won't be able to see it. So that adds on another layer of 
kind of mystery of strategy um, plays into um, the vision game, which I think we'll get into later. Um, that's just something that I wanted to mention. It's yeah. completely dark. You so cannot see. The entire map is covered in a fog, so you can see through it to technically see you know, what's there, but you can't see what is actively happening at any point in time unless you use uh, something that has vision. So turrets have vision, your minions have vision, your champions have vision, and there are items that you can place to increase your vision and have vision in certain areas. Um, so the jungle also contains three larger monsters, uh, the first being a dragon. Uh, so at this current point in the game, there are elemental dragons that provide a permanent augmentation to all players on the team that defeats that specific dragon. Um, and then after 35 minutes of in-game time, uh, it changes from an elemental dragon to a quote-unquote elder dragon, which provides a stronger buff, but it only lasts for a short period of time. Okay, so for me, that's normal, because I joined so late. So. Right. For you two guys that played earlier on, what? It was only the the buff. You got a short period of time buff. So it was only the Elder Dragon, and it essentially. It, it, it started out as the dragon provided gold, and that was it. It was a large monster okay. that provided a large amount of gold. And then it moved to you defeated the dragon, and you got a buff for a short period of time, similar to how... Okay, okay. Yeah, Elder and Dragon. And I think that's now. how it was the last time I played. So this is all new. Yeah, Absolutely. so yeah, this so, is within the past year, year and a half, two yeah, years. Yeah, so Seth, what they ended up doing, and this is actually what I think is one of the more it, it, positive it, updates, I'll say, to both competitive and to um, it makes taking kind of just relaxed play. Yeah, so they included these elemental drakes. They included a mountain drake, a cloud, infernal. ocean, and infernal. So mountain drake. Whenever you killed it, you got bonus damage to objectives. So towers, other dragons, Baron or Rift Herald. They all have various different buffs that yeah. accumulate as you kill them. Yeah. Is it like a random order, or is it the same uh, order every yeah, time? Yeah. So it the, is random. The spawn is random, and um, it is it is signified at the area where the dragon spawns. Yeah. So you know whether okay, I do want to make this an objective that I want to take, or this is one that I'm okay with not taking. Yeah, and okay, and they've been buffed or nerfed uh, by Riot multiple times. Pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty consistently based off of either competitive play or uh, play. like solo yeah. queue or something Absolutely. like that. And then so we move on to the the second large monster in the jungle, which is known as Rift Herald. Uh, so this is a monster that can be defeated once. Uh, and it allows for a one-time summon where the monster reappears. Uh, it's an, it, it, it comes in as an item that you can pick up and then use uh, as a single-use item. And it is dropped in one of the three lanes and is used to attack the opposing team's defensive structures. Uh, it does a large amount of damage in a single-time charge uh, at a single defensive uh, structure or turret and then can continue down that lane um, until it is defeated as it has a number of health. Uh, it can only be defeated once and disappears after 20 minutes of in-game time. And so at the same location where the Rift Herald spawns, after this 20 minute period where Rift Herald is present, uh, we have Baron Nasher. And this is the most powerful neutral enemy that upon killing gives the entire team uh, that did kill it 
uh, a buff that empowers nearby minions and decreases the time that it takes to travel back to base in the ability known as backing or returning to base. Uh, yeah, that's pretty new stuff too. <laughs> yes, they, they completely changed. Uh, you know, one and a half, two years ago, uh, Dragon, Rift Herald, and Baron Nasher. Um, I definitely took a time off. I played, you know, from like 2011 to 2014, and then 15, 16, maybe even 17. I like didn't play at all, uh, and then I got back into it when Taylor and uh, Player Three and and some of our other friends started getting back into it, and it was a learning experience to get back into all of this new stuff. It yeah. took me a while to catch up on what was going on. And all of this is just normal for me. So dragons pretty big priority earlier on later on not so much until elder comes up rift herald has even in competitive and solo queue has been pretty much ignored um it's not the biggest thing it takes a while to take good bit of gold yeah good bit Potential of gold utility uh this most i will say this most recent season season nine um with the addition of turret plating rift herald is huge because it can gives basically you give you 500 gold, gold right yeah. off the bat um, but Baron has always, and I think for a while on, for the near future, will always be the most important um, jungle uh, monster because it just gives you such a big power in terms of pushing objectives. Um, Which so is I the point of the game. Yeah, and I don't know what it was before, um, but Baron has always been a thing, always been if you have the ability to take it, you should always take it as soon as you can. It, it used to provide uh, augmentation on player stats, where now all it does is allow you to be able to take objectives and push okay. towards the winning point of the game, where previously it just made you stronger. Okay. So that was a fairly large change. Yeah. And so that pretty much sums up Summoner's Rift, uh, the 5v5 portion of the game. And that, I will say, that's the... Most Just commonly that played. Is, that is the basic version. That is the standard. Everything else is kind of... It has less percentage of play. It's definitely not the, the main game that most people know of when you say League of Legends. Uh, and so we're going to move into Twisted Tree Line, which is uh, two teams of three players who compete to destroy the opponent's nexus, very similar to the original 5v5 Summoner's Rift, uh, except it's only through two lanes as opposed to three in Summoner's Rift. Uh, it's a much smaller overall map. It is completely different. Um, definitely a different game mode for sure. Uh, but other than the fact that there's only two lanes, the, the general idea is very similar to Summoner's Rift, um, except for there are two altars, which do not exist in Summoner's Rift, that when captured provide a buff to the capturing team. Uh, they augment players' abilities and strength in a positive way. Uh, Baron Nasher, that, that main neutral jungle creature that exists in Summoner's Rift, has been replaced in this 3v3 Twisted Tree Line with a spider deity named Vilimaw. Uh, however, it has a very similar function. It's a different creature, but really, really does the same thing in terms of objective and overall game. Um, so did this exist whenever y'all were playing? Yes, Twisted Tree Line was there. It was different than how it yeah. currently is. Um, and it was... There were less of these optional game modes that we see now that are released on, you know, like seasons yeah. or whatever. Uh, you didn't have the ARAM, you didn't have a roof, all the kind of stuff. Yeah. Twisted Tree Line was kind of the secondary that you would play. So okay. I, I used to play ranked of Twisted Tree Line. Okay. So this, really the only time we ever played Twisted Tree Line is if 
there were kind of six of us online and we all wanted to play together, but we didn't want to separate into two different groups to play solo queue. We would just go into this, screw around, play 3v3. Yeah, it's, it, that it used, used to be, be larger. Thing we it had. used to be a more dominant game mode because okay. there were only two of them. Okay. Um, and, and it definitely used to be a solid ranked place as well, okay. where it no longer really is. Okay. Uh, and I felt I did better on Twisted Tree Line because I typically the area of the game I was good at was playing bruisers. And at least at the time, like that was just the best pick. Yeah, Twisted uh, Tree Line. As we can tell from your intro, Garen. Garen for days. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was it was all our characters. I played like Garen, Riven, Irelia, like yeah. basically that type. Absolutely. Well, the uh, other thing is with less with a three v three, a bruiser they that can fighter the damage they, they can tank damage do right. both. Absolutely. Definitely has more of a play. It was a safe choice. You just yeah, have utility it, it's for more everything. viable right. than what Which, it is now in five v five. Yeah, we'll definitely hit here in a second after we talk about this last game mode. Uh, so the last one, Howling Abyss. Uh, again, a new map. However, this is again two teams of five players. Uh, but the champion is assigned randomly in the game mode known as ARAM, which is currently the only game mode that plays on Howling Abyss. Uh, and this is significantly different from the other two game modes where you choose your character. Uh, it is randomly assigned to you, and you do not have a choice. You can what is known as reroll, uh, but that's a mechanic we won't really get into right now. Uh, so there is only one lane of play in this game mode, as opposed to the three or the two. Uh, and there is one set of defensive turrets that lead to, again, a nexus, uh, but there is no neutral jungle area. So this is a very small one-lane area where all 10 champs have to be in at the same time. And so this really forces large team fights uh, and a quick, uh, quick gameplay that encourages consistent fighting and aggressiveness as opposed to the other two game modes. Uh, in this game mode, you also cannot return to your base, which you typically can, uh, for health or items unless you die. Uh, in, in the typical game modes, you can return whenever you want, and this is the feature known as recalling. Um, it is an important part of strategy for being able to get items and be better and be able to defeat your opponents by having that item or that extra player strength advantage. Uh, and in this game mode, you cannot unless you do so by death. Uh, so that actually adds some strategy around intentionally dying. So this is kind of an interesting callback to the origins of League, because ARAM, all random, all middle, was an acronym that was being used. It was a custom game, originally. It yes. was played on the original map, and you were supposed to join, and you were supposed to choose random and go to the middle lane and ignore all the others. And it became a popular enough custom game that they specifically made a map and a rule set for it. Absolutely. Uh, which is kind of how League of Legends started. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is kind of touching on some origins of League that we really haven't hit on yet, but originally it was very, very, honestly, similar to a Warcraft-type style where you had these custom games and you had uh, kind of that same menu and all that kind of stuff, where now it's so far removed from that. It's completely different. It doesn't even feel the same anymore as you know that original Warcraft did. So, I guess we'll roll into champion types now. We kind of started to talk about it when we were talking about the different maps. So there's all these characters. I don't even... I couldn't tell you how many there are now. 140-something. Um, yes. There's I... a lot to choose from. And they basically get separated into a few types. They fill a few roles. 
So there's two kinds of damage. This is usually the most important and first distinction for characters. There's physical damage, which is in turn blocked by armor, and then there's magic damage, which is blocked by magic resistance. And you want to have some kind of split, some representation of both kinds of damage in your team, so that it's not really easy for your opponent to stock up on one kind of resistance. And then after you split it into physical and magic, you've got six classifications of champions, uh, and depending on the way you build the character, maybe they can fill multiple roles, but in general they'll fall into one of these categories. So you have your marksman types, which are typically physical damage champions. Uh, in game, I believe it's still referred to as attack damage. Uh, AD carry would be sort of the most common uh, name for this role. Correct, and Yep. And uh, so they typically have a long range, and you want to have a high power output, and you prioritize attack over defense. Then you have your mage, which is kind of the same thing, but instead of focusing on physical damage, attack damage, you focus on uh, magic damage or ability power. So maybe people will refer to it as AP carry. And again, the idea here is you have you prioritize offense over defense. Maybe the difference between this and your physical damage is you have spells and you do everything in a burst. So, yeah, big thing you touched on a little bit at the end. A big thing between Marksman and Mage. Marksman, while they do have both kinds of champions have four abilities, Marksmans are more dependent upon auto attacks, uh, whereas Mages... Um, are much more dependent on one of those four abilities that they have to do damage and to help out their team. Um, so that's one of the big differences is that attack damage refers to your auto attacks, whereas the AP refer refers to one of the four abilities and how those items or how that damage then in turns powers up one of those four abilities. And most of these, I think champion types that we're going to go over fall into your typical you know fantasy whether that be dungeons and dragons or whatever categories you know so marksman typically that fast like shooter guy you know so he can run around really well where mage is like the wizard who sits in a single place and casts a ton of spells uh so majors have low mobility uh marksmen can typically move around fairly well whether that be by their abilities or just their normal you know movement speed whatever it happens to be so, kind of stemming from this all-offense, no-defense category, we have our third class of champions, and that's the Assassin. Uh, so again, high offense over defense, but what makes the Assassin special is their kit is built in such a way that they want to burst down a champion as quick as possible, and then either escape or get out before uh, they get taken out themselves. So a lot of times their abilities are going to be focused on sneaking up on someone, surprising them, targeting them from far away, zooming in close, dealing a bunch of damage really quickly, and then maybe escaping if things go well. Uh, then we kind of move into your more sturdy or robust champion types. Of course you have the classic archetype of tank, uh, and so in addition to being all your what you would normally expect, hard to kill, high armor, lots of hit points, maybe not a lot of attack. Tanks also typically have a lot of crowd control effects where they can stun, 
slow people, maybe pull enemies towards them or push them away. And that gives you a lot of options to influence, either protect your own team or make the other team more vulnerable. Uh, I would just like to say the most, in my opinion, the most fun class to play because you have all of the power when it comes to team fights, engaging, disengaging. You get to do whatever the heck you want to do because you have control over the enemy as long as you can hit those crowd control. So tanks, super fun. Anyone with crowd control, super fun. Highly suggest them. Yeah, this is like the ultimate teamwork class, right? Because you're not going to kill someone on your own, most likely. But if you're there with your team and you make these good plays, then it's game-changing. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, normally people aren't going to target you because you're going to be tough to kill. So you can kind of take, you know, maybe be a little riskier. Or you can kind of run in and try to make things happen because people don't want to engage you. You, as often. you get to be the front line, which is nice because you get to run in, you get to start the fights, and but you also have the knowledge of, okay, it's going to take a lot for them to kill me. Every single person on the enemy team has to be sitting, focusing on me and worrying about me while the other four of my teammates can do whatever the heck they want to do and they don't have to worry about dying. So... Tanks, love them. Supports, love them. That's just player three right there. <laughs> so, we've also got to talk about fighters, or I referred to them as bruisers earlier. And these are essentially characters that try to balance the tank and the attack damage roles. So you're basically a compromise between the two. You want to be tough, you want to be able to soak up some damage, but you do spend some time developing your offensive capabilities as well. And then last but not least, we have another one of uh, Player 3's favorite classes, and that's Support. And so these are champions whose abilities are designed to directly help their teammates. And so that could come in the form of things like healing or some form of crowd control or potentially buffing your team, debuffing the other team. And a lot of times you see these matched up with one of those more offensive-focused champions. So they can kind of protect them and, and heal them and keep them in the fight longer. So a big reason that I like support is, I'm, as I said in the intro, I like to lurk. I like to sit there, be in the shadows, and kind of help out in ways that aren't necessarily obvious. And this is what a support does. It's Whether it's crowd control, whether it's heals, buffs, debuffs... Um, you get to do things in ways that kind of go in the shadows to not only the enemy team, but to your own team. You do things that you don't get the kills, you don't get all the glory for stealing Baron or something like that, but you're the one that enables all of it, either by placing wards, by healing, by enabling movement, by disabling the enemy's movement. It's one of those really cool roles that plays such a huge that really impacts the game in such a huge way but not everybody sees it and so whenever you get into this game a lot and really get interested in it support is one of those that just has such a wide variety of ways to impact the game and so it can keep it really interesting it, you, it gives you a lot of different variety on how to play the game 
And for me specifically, that makes me like the game. Um, it gives you a lot of different ways to engage, to have fun, be, okay, I really want to go balls to the wall, engage, be on the front line, or some days I want to be, okay, I kind of just want to sit in the back and help one of my teammates out, make sure they stay alive. Um, so that's a lot of the reason why I like tanks or sports is because you get to kind of hide behind the hide behind the curtain and do all the backstage stuff, which is really cool to me. So based on all these mechanics and all this gameplay we've talked about, um, the, the nature of the game itself makes it incredibly hard to be balanced. Uh, you know, we have 140-whatever-odd champs. Uh, you have all this different stuff that's coming in. We talked about all these updates and all this continual you know, development, all that kind of stuff. And that, that is because the game is extremely hard to be balanced. You know, at no one, one point in time can you say, you know what, all 140-plus of these champs are equal in power and equal in utility and equal in all these different categories. Uh, so the, this complexity and variety of the gameplay and the mechanics allows for what is known as a meta to be present, or meta, however you want to say it. Um, meta. I mean, meta. For sure it's meta. I don't meta. know what the hell meta is over there, but... <laughs> I know what meta Beta. is. As I think we've said at the very beginning of this uh, podcast, you know, I don't claim that any of the words I'm going to say are going to be correct. I just ask that you don't, uh, you know, complain too hard. Nah, send us, send us an email. Leave us an iTunes review. <laughs> Let us know how you feel about this pronunciation. So this meta uh, means that there is certain champions or serpent certain items or certain play styles uh, that are popular at a time as they are more powerful than other ones. Uh, so finding these little exploits, these loopholes, these good combinations of champs or items is incredibly important to being uh, a good player and playing at a high level at any you know given amount of time. Uh, and with these consistent updates that are released, you consistently have to be in the knowledge, in the understanding of what the game is doing and what's happening uh, in these current you know updates to be able to play at an extremely high level. So kind of hitting on some of these mechanics, uh, they're definitely different from most of the first-person PC games that people uh, are used to playing. And, and this definitely follows the StarCraft and WarCraft mechanics, which while they were popular games, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't say they were some of the most well-known games ever, uh, as they weren't on console, and back then PC had a you know a little bit more of a niche following. Uh, although I don't think niche is quite the right word, definitely smaller following. Um, so some things that are different than what most people are used to is you right-click to move uh, and to attack. Uh, that's like your main action button. Uh, and then your left-click is selection. So you're highlighting things, getting information on things, uh, you know, whatever it kind of happens to be. And then most people are used to like a WASD movement type system, uh, which is not present. It is the right-clicking uh, for movement and attacking. Uh, the keys that you do use for most of the game are Q, W, E, and R. And as we talked about earlier, with the four abilities that each champion has, Q, W, E, and R, one is associated to each one of these abilities. Q, W, and E being the uh, typical main abilities that are used for most of the game, and R being your ultimate ability, the strong one, uh, that really does a lot and ha ha has a longer cooldown and is extremely important for utility or damage or whatever it happens to be. Uh, you also have a couple other assigned hotkeys that you can change and move about uh, that are used for items or any other utility that is included in the game. 
Uh, something that is unique uh, that we have mentioned earlier is that no fixed screen. You can look at any part of the map at any given time and not look at your character or what is happening with your character uh, just to understand strategy and understand what's going on at different parts of the map and, and be able to you know, get an idea of what you need to be doing or what other people on your team should be doing uh, at any given moment of time. And like we hit on earlier, there is the fog of war. Uh, which is present in a lot of other games, but allows you to not see what is going on unless you are currently there with your area of vision that reveals this part of the map or any other utility that allows you to see part of the map. So moving on from all these mechanics, League of Legends is a very story-driven game. While the gameplay itself may not be story-driven, everything behind the scenes is. And the amount of lore that is uh, you know, present in this game and the amount of time that they spend on this lore is insane. Um, this year, actually, I decided, I was like, hey, there's a ton of cool story. I've read small excerpts from it. I'll just go kind of check it out. Uh, not possible. The amount of lore that they have for this game is unreal. And it's so good. Like, if you want to read a fantasy story or some sort of fiction, you can spend hours reading these cool backstories, plot, development, all this kind of stuff that they put into all of their characters, not just like a couple. Every single character has massive amounts of handwritten short stories that are extremely high quality. They even have like poems and all this kind of stuff that are like great and really cool. So this is something that I highly recommend you go and take a peek at. Uh, if you love fantasy, if you love sci-fi, any kind of you know books I this is this is some really awesome stuff uh, definitely don't expect to be able to read all of it because there is just massive amounts of it but I do recommend you check it out it, it is it is pretty cool so I'm gonna go over a high level of kind of what League is about and, and what, what goes on inside of it so League of Legends takes place in the fictional world of Runeterra uh, and it revolves around a large number of heroes and villains in the countries and city-states and the resulting battles and struggles that occur in this you know, main world of Runeterra. Uh, so there was a massive uh, lore shift in 2014, so I'll kind of hit on the front part of that. Um, so originally the main country of Valoran in the world of Runeterra uh, was ruled by incredibly powerful time mages. Uh, they created something known as the Institute of War, also called the League of Legends, where summoners, or these wizard-type peoples, uh, which is who you as a player uh, inhabit and play as, uh, could come and control any of Runeterra's greatest champions to battle and settle disputes. And this kind of emulates you being the summoner, summoning a champion, which is the in-game character. Uh, so you're like a wizard who summons the champion, and then you control and play as that champion. Uh, so they use this to settle any kind of dispute, whether that be like, oh, I want to challenge your country or your city-state to war, or oh, like, you murdered our king, like, let's fight. Um, so that's kind of how this concept was used uh, to get around how all of these different people were coming together to fight. Uh, Riot changed from this storyline in 2014 as it massively restricted what could be done with character backstories. And this kind of hits on all the lore that they're going into now. Uh, they weren't able to do that because they were extremely limited on how much they could go into champions because essentially they were, like, lame puppets that were being controlled and didn't have really anything to do of the, in, in of themselves. It was more focused on the summoners uh, and that League of Legends and these time mages. 
So recently I did a little bit of digging into what it is now. And very, very long story short, they switched it over from kind of this summoner-focused battle arena type lore to almost like a kind of revision of the Bible where you have absolutely nothing, a world comes into existence, and you have what the the evil... Um, the antagonist of this world is what's called Watchers. And they're trying to get into this source of light that they can only, or this world that they can only see through a small little window that is, they can see this world of Runeterra. And there are some, what is essentially gods um, that are controlling this map of Runeterra. And they create this human race that all starts with kind of people like Aurelian Soul, Gallio, a bunch of more the um kind of magic-y, spacey. magic-y super good type champions um that you play as and then it develops into this whole story of the watchers get a hold of a few places in Runeterra where they can control things and then you have the gods quote unquote that take control of the good side and then it's it turns into more of a story of good versus evil and then as the world expands as people explore into different places and create their own countries then you have your other conflicts between a country versus a country that don't really know their origins of where they came from anymore um it gets really interesting it gets to be almost like what our world is now it gets to be one country versus in its current state versus another country in its current state where they don't really know their backstories anymore. Yeah, um, and all of it, like you said, it goes into character backstories. One character will have specific views on one event and they'll touch a little bit on another event that they had a minor role to play in with, and that minor role that they played in is the entire backstory of a different champion. Yeah. And then that leads into another minor event of that champion, which leads into a minor event that was a major event of another champion. And it just, it gets into this huge spider web that creates a massive lore that all connects in some way, shape, or form. And it's really cool how they've done that because it lets you dive into and spend hours upon hours upon hours to create this web and this story that all leads back to the exact same place. Yeah. So in 2014, they moved to this completely character-driven plot. So it's all of these storylines, all of this interconnectedness between these major champions that you see in the game uh, that, that are the main players in this world of Runeterra. Uh, and so it is all driven off of the characters as opposed to these, you know, the second party that you had no real knowledge of, no experience with, you didn't play with them in the game, to this the people that you're playing with in the game have real stories, real backgrounds, real things that affect everything that you see and experience with them, whether that's their abilities, uh, the, the different skins and, and colors that you can buy for them or you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, so the, the, the lore uh, can mainly be seen through these long or short stories uh, that, that are on the League of Legends website. 
and, and they really weave that history of the entire world and the character relationships together and you get this reasoning for all these champs being in the same place fighting or you know whatever it happens to be and, and it makes sense of how the game is being played uh, so on top of the lore we have a ton a ton a ton of original content that Riot has produced over the years and they've released along with all of these champs as they new as new champs come out they release some bit of original content uh, when new game modes come out they release you know some sort of content or seasons or whatever it happens to be um, so this is separate from the lore it's not necessarily story although sometimes it does include story and plot uh, it, it it's music it's videos it's these awesome animations um, all this kind of stuff that that riot comes out with uh, so I know personally for me, the cinematics that they produce are fantastic. The quality of the animation, the story that's behind it, everything, these are so cool. If you have not seen them, I highly recommend you go watch them. If you're any sort of sci-fi, fantasy, whatever it happens to be, fan, these will get you psyched. These are so, so cool. Uh, and I, I really, really, really hope they put out like some sort of like uh, feature length type something as opposed to like these 10 minute, eight minute videos, whatever it happens to be, because these are these are freaking amazing. Even if you don't like the game, if you have no knowledge of the game, these are super exciting uh, and, and awesome. And this includes the music they put into it and the music that they create separately. All this stuff is such high quality content. It's amazing. I'm right there with you as far as the animation goes. Like, these are some things, even whenever I first started playing, knew nothing about it, I would see these kind of short films, these cinematics they would create, and I'd go, yeah, I feel like I could easily watch a movie on this. Um, I know I've done the same thing with World of Warcraft. I've gone into some YouTube rabbit holes and gone down some... World of Warcraft cinematics where they look fantastic. World of Warcraft, League of Legends, the quality of these cinematics are the same. And so I'm like, I want a movie of this. I want a movie of every single champion. And the thing is, Riot can honestly do that because they've put enough time into the backstory of every single one of these champions where you could have, theoretically, 140-some-odd movies for every single champion because they're that detailed a backstory. Yeah, so they have that much as, plot. As a fan, even before I was uh, really big into the game, I was a fan of the cinematics. And so I kind of just wanted to say, hey, give me something that on a Saturday I can go and spend an hour and a half doing and watching one of these cinematics. Um, so I don't know if that's uh, something that they have in their future. They talk a lot about it. Yeah, they, they say. Definitely. They say they would. They are just as passionate as making something feature film length as we are, but they. That's a big kind, kind of same the sa industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same same thing is Riot Games instead of Riot Game. They have their standard <laughs> of if we're gonna make a feature length film, it needs to be the quality that we want it to be, and they don't think they can get there at the moment. So I respect them for that, but at the same time, I freaking want it. I, think I this, want it. This harkens to the World of Warcraft film, which I know uh, we have different opinions on. I believe Player One wasn't a huge fan of the movie. 
No, dude. And it's actually, I don't even remember why I disliked it. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. Not necessarily for its World of Warcraftiness, but just for what it was, an entertaining action movie. I thought it was a good waste of time. Yeah. Which I'm always down for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, these cinematics for me kind of harken back to um, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, this was a game... I, I never really played the game, if we're being honest, until much later. Until much, much later after release. I uh, never played this, but... I'm sure there are other people around like me that there were some cinematics for that, especially really recently, that just, I was jaw-dropped. The first time I saw a Knights of the Old Republic cinematic, I didn't realize it was a video game, and I didn't realize how old of a video game it was. Uh, Player One had to introduce me to Knights of the Old Republic, which I did pick up and play a little bit of. Um, But, I mean... You want to talk about just awesome story and fun and, like, just cool movie-esque type stuff that gets you so in the mood for a game. Uh, League hits it right right on the head. Um, and I definitely think this is included in the individual music that they produce as well. Um, so they have a whole metal album, which is actually, like, honestly pretty good, which is awesome for me. Um, and also a ton of other music that's fantastic that I have on like my current playlist that I listen to, like when I'm working out or just like in the car driving to work or, you know, whatever it happens to be like, I consistently listen to their music cause it is high quality. Uh, they've recently released a comic about one of their champions, Ash, and it was good. I can't say I'm like a, a huge comic person. Uh, I've, I've recently kind of started getting into it, reading some random stuff here and there or whatever. And this, I enjoyed this. This was, this was awesome. Artwork was amazing. I love, love, love art. And this was like a really cool, uh, way to bring it, uh, one of their characters, one of their champions and some of the plot and lore to life. Um, so it was, it was, it was awesome. So I think last, but I, in my opinion, would certainly say not least. Uh, we're going to touch on a little bit of the competitive scene. Um, I think compared to uh, Player sure. 1 and Player 2, I, as Player 3, have a lot more experience watching the competitive scene than them two. This is where it pays off. You've, you've put up with it through the whole podcast. This is where the payoff yeah, I, is. I definitely think we have a uh, player 3 entering the game here. This is uh, <laughs> this is where his knowledge trumps all of ours. <laughs> I, I want to say I have a, a very vague general understanding of what's going on. Uh, but he's he's definitely the expert out of the three of us. I'm jumping off the balcony smashing the BP table to dunk for the last cup for the win. <laughs> um, so when it comes to competitive play, uh, it started off pretty small. Um, if I remember right, it was really only North America, China, and Europe that yeah. had teams that competed in the first So we touched on that season one, season two, 2011, 2012. Um, and I know until recently, that first championship that first championship tournament was the only time anyone west of asia had even made quarterfinals i believe yeah um but so i'll go back to the basics so the competitive scene just about every single region country however you want to classify it has a competitive league um 
is up until last year by far the most dominant region was Korea. Um, they were who set the meta. They were the ones who figured out which champions were good, which duos, which set of five champions really played well together. Um, which, if you play video games at all that have a massive online base, uh, I think it's pretty consistent. Yeah. Korea dominates. Korea, China, really anywhere in the East, in East Asia are going to be on the forefront. If you um, decide to play on the Korean servers, you're going to get wrecked. Now, this last year, however, really important for the West. Um, even for West of Korea, China was up there. China ended up winning the League of Legends World Championship in 2018. Um, but this was the best outcome at a Worlds tournament that the West had between North America and Europe. Um, so... Every single year, the kind of climax of competitive is the World Championship. It's held uh, in between October and November, and throughout uh, League's history, it has consistently been one of the highest-viewed esports tournaments in the world. Um, I know I have personally seen the differences between Season 1, Season 2, Championships, between the most recent, and I mean... The, I believe it was 2018, the championship was held in the same stadium that the um, Olympics, whenever they were hosted in China, yeah, it's that, the same I've stadium that, that hosted the opening and closing ceremonies. That's, yeah. So that the, is huge, and they filled that thing out. League, pretty much since Origin, has been the most watched game on the internet. Period. Um, and this transfers into their major tournaments. And, and they're, so, they're huge. yeah, so. Competitive-wise, Worlds is the climax of esports. Um, it has slowly grown. Started in 2011 with eight teams. Um, the next year they had 12. Year after that, 14. Then 16, and then 24 in 2017. I believe they're still in the same format. There's still 24, uh, 24 different teams, and they haven't. Mentioned changing it. So in 2018, there was 24 teams. And, and supposedly in 2019, I have teams. watched every world since 2017, and I really like it because 24 consists of a play-in as well as groups as well it as... It makes it more like a normal tournament. Uh, yeah, sports, it, such, as, such as like your March Madness yeah. or your FIFA World Cup, yeah. something like that, which both of which I, I watch a lot of that, and I love the format. Yeah, it allows it's, for that group stage and then the elimination. Yeah. So you get a little bit of like... You get to see everyone play, you get some fun, you get to watch a lot of games, and then you get into like, okay, this is serious, I have a stake on a team, like, I'm watching this, It's it, it has meaning, it's intense, it's yes. fun. So, as far as specific leagues go, um, each league, um, whether it's NA, Europe, China, Korea, they're all, they all have their own specific format, and each of them... I think is really interesting. Played at each region's strengths. Um, so Korea, which you would expect, are the big grinders. They put the most amount of time, the most amount of effort into their games. They have the longest season. They play best of three format in the regular season. So And they play, I believe, two series each weekend. So um, right now they're playing games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Four games, four days out of the seven that you have, they're playing league. That's when their season is. Competitively, not Com including competitively. practice. Competitively. And practice, like, yeah. who knows how yeah. many hours upon right. hours upon hours they put in. 
Um, China, I believe, is the same format. Um, Europe, I also believe, is the same format. One thing that I think is a little bit weird and kind of probably one of the reasons why NA isn't as competitive is NA has switched over to a um, round robin where in the first half of the split they play, or in the, in the entire split they play everybody twice um, and it's just one game series. Um, so it's kind of just who can draft the best for this one game, who can play the best. If you do well in draft, if you do well in the game, you win and you only play... I think 20 games overall, which is theoretically if everything in Korea, Asia, Europe goes 2-0s, that's only half the season. Right. Um, so yeah. that's something up for debate. Um, as the splits go on, so you have a summer split, spring split, and then that leads into your worlds. Um, so after your spring split is what opens up, that's where we're currently at. In between the spring and the summer split, you have your, I believe it's MSI. It's either MSI or Rift Rivals. Essentially, in between every single split, you have an international event. Um, and that switches between Rift Rivals, which is NA versus U, or China versus Korea. Um, so, kind of the best teams that ended the split, they'll go into a small little tournament and just the, play each other. The regions that, like that competitive. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, they do yeah. the same thing. So, yeah. like... NA and the, Europe the, have a lot of, you know, like, in whatever esport you watch, NA and Europe are kind of like the rivals. Yeah. China and Korea are kind of the rivals. So yeah. it, it, it hits on that. Yeah, so that's in between one split. Next split, you have uh, you have MSI, which stands for Mid-Season Invitational. And that's essentially a warm-up for Worlds. So every single, I think it's the top two teams in every single league come in in the top four leagues come in, they play a small little tournament, and that is really what determines who's the favorite for Worlds that year. Um, and then in between the next split, or after the next split, you have Worlds, and then that kind of ends the season, and they have a, a short little off offseason. Um, it's been fascinating to watch. I haven't gotten a chance to watch as much Europe and Korea as I would like, and even China, but I have... Watched basically every single North American game, and it is like I cannot tell you how much I learn from listening to the commentators, listening to the voice chats of the players while they're in game. Um, it's fantastic. I can only equate it to having NFL, NBA players mic'd up, yeah, and listening to what they're talking about during game. So at, at the current point of recording this episode, definitely not at the release of this episode. No, no, not at the all. The championship series uh, for all of these regions are currently being played. So this is kind of the end of the regular season. Uh, this is the the tournament that determines who is going to the world championships. Um, and it, it, it's a very exciting time. League of Legends offers small in-game incentives to watch these tournaments and, and all of these games. Um, and and if, if you like League, if you like learning, uh, this, is, this is a fun time to be able to see some people who are really good at the gameplay. So I, I think that really wraps up most of our episode. Um, this... Definitely really excited to be able to have our, uh, our resident expert on League 
definitely better than player one and player two to be here and help us out with teaching you guys and talking about the history. I really appreciate him being here. You can call me an expert, but I'm sure I got relative expert. So yeah. many things wrong. Um, this game, better than us. this game is so so massive, um, and there's so much that can go on. Like, like I was talking to player two earlier. Like, I'm taking breaks at work, trying to absorb as much league as I can, and it doesn't even come close to what's out there. Like, I try and play every single day, and I'm still way behind the curve, I'm sure, for some for, for some of you listeners. Um, so hopefully I didn't tilt you all um, as much as I probably did. Uh, but, yeah, compared to Noob 1 and Noob 2 over here, um, I'm, uh, I'm up there when it comes to rank. I quit League before you even started playing. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you guys hanging with us through this episode. Uh, we really appreciate Player 3 being out here. Please check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Player1Bias. Of course, we'd love to hear your feedback, so let us know what we did right. Let us know what we did wrong. Reach out to us on Twitter or iTunes reviews or however you want to do that. Thanks so much for listening in. Yeah, and please please uh, rate us and review us on iTunes. Let us know what you think and, and let us know how to change the episode and make it better. Thank you very much.